Number 727, not a Boeing craft, but the next step for May 12, 2022. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskan. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. In these weekly episodes, you will find that Father Vosgan's messages are timely, thought-provoking, and based on the solid principles of Christ's love, faith, and hope. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. It's been one of those things that I've thought about for several, several years and have never really looked it up. A rumor control center. Especially in church life. A rumor control center. And, you know, I, I did not know until today that they were specifically set up, rumor control centers, to give people accurate information about elections. And, and that's what triggered my interest in this this morning, is that, you know, there was an election here in the United States in what's called the Eastern Diocese of the Armenian Church. And this would be the, if you were to take North America and split it up, you'd have the Canadian Diocese. The oldest diocese, of course, is the Eastern Diocese um, from the 19th century. Uh, late 19th century when the first Armenians came after the the massacres. And uh, then the Californian diocese, which turned into the Western diocese in 1927. And then, of course, the Canadian diocese. So North America has three separate dioceses, and Mexico is part of the Western diocese. So the Eastern diocese had an election last week, and the results were surprising. Were the results were rather shocking too, and I got all kinds of calls, people calling me and asking me. I didn't realize that we became all of a sudden ipso facto, right? Because we're on the internet, and uh, we became all of a sudden a rumor control center. That's what I wanted to call it. Because, um, well, anyway, the the idea came to me. And I said, let me do a little research before we go out on the podcast. So I I typed in rumor control center because I remember this word. I remember rumor control centers uh, being a place where you would call or you would check with to make sure that the facts are right on what you got. And I've thought about this through the years because in, in especially in public life, but especially in church life, you've got people making all kinds of rumors and you got to check it out now in the old days you know you'd have only a few places where you could check out these the information that you got um, newspapers and of course uh, radio and then later television in the old days I'm talking about you know from the um, time that print became accessible through newspapers and particularly in the 20th century with the electronic medias of radio and television and then the 21st century although the internet was there in the in earlier but it wasn't until the 21st century when internet really became took on and became popular with uh, the advent of the of the cellular phone 
Again, cellular phones existed back then, but I would say 2007 when the iPhone first came out. And you saw it more than a device to communicate with people as a means of connecting to a broad range of uh, of different services. And so today it's very, very common. If you hear a rumor, you can pick up your phone, your computer in your pocket, and do a Google search. And the information that you get will be just like in the old days. Um, you should be skeptical. You know, like where is the source? Consider the source. In the old days, where you had t- where you had newspapers, you know, in a town or in a, especially in a big city, you might have a few different varieties of newspaper, and they'd usually have a leaning. One would be it's a from a conservative leaning one would be a liberal paper perhaps one would be down the middle you'd know where the paper was coming from especially because they would endorse certain candidates you knew you knew the leaning of the candidates and so you could kind of do your own research of finding out you know um considering the source where where is the source i've thrown that out many times that if you were to read a story that said that you know some man bit into a mcdonald's hamburger and found let's say a, a rat or something excuse me but <laughs> you would probably say oh i will never eat there again until you find out that that article was sponsored by the good folks at jack in the box or carl's jr and then you'd say well wait a minute wait a minute I should suspect that perhaps that's not the full truth and nothing but the truth. And so in days past, you would be your own rumor control center. Today, with the internet, you have a wide variety, a wide, wide variety of different places to check. However, these would be, say, on the big stories. Like, let's say, for instance, today, we, we the biggest story right now, Russians, R- Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you'd have information coming to you from all different sources, including Russian sources. Like, you should know what the Russian angle is. As tainted as you may think it is, you should know it at, to put your thoughts together. I mean, I'm using this, please, please understand, I'm using this as um, just an example. I mean, I think most people understand a lot more than needing to really go into it. You see many things that are out on the stage, but I'm using it as an example. How do you control rumors? And so uh, early on in the game, when I first got into the church, I used to think about this quite often, that there are so many different Rumors that fly out about this event, that event in the church, this person in the church, what happened to this priest, where is he now, what's going on? And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if we had a rumor control center? In other words, you want to know what happened, what happened in a particular parish, in the church, in uh, with a priest, call up the rumor control center. Say, I heard this, and they would correct it. Anyway, I had heard this term, rumor control center, never realizing that it had to do with elections until this morning. So in preparation for today's show, I googled rumor control center. And what's the first thing that comes up? Rumor control page startup guide. Wow. In other words, Set up your own rumor control center. Now listen what it says. This 
document was created as part of the Election Infrastructure Government Coordinating Council and Subsector Coordinating Council's Joint Mis-Disinformation Working Group. Wow, there's a mouthful, right? This document is intended to be used by state, local, tribal, and territorial election officials and industry partners as part of a large mis dis and malinformation <laughs> malinformation response strategy. I'm laughing because I they actually have um, the initials spelled out. It's MDM. MDM stands for mis dis and malinformation. Wow. Okay, don't forget that, MDM. These are big things. Okay, so I'm looking at this. It says misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, MDM, can present risks to the election infrastructure community, its owners and operators, and the public. MDM can spread quickly, causing rumors to undermine facts. And it tells you a few, well, let's define them. Let me say, misinformation is false, but not created or shared with the intention of causing harm. This would be, I would think, like when uh, Truman won the election. This is right after World War II. President Truman, Truman was elected officially. He had taken over presidency when Franklin Roosevelt had passed in office. So his first election... He ran against a gentleman named Thomas Dewey. And um, all everybody had had uh, predicted that Dewey would win. So there's a very famous picture of President Truman holding a newspaper in his hands saying, Dewey wins. Now, this wasn't their intention, except that it wasn't the intention of the newspaper was not to cause misinformation rather they had a deadline they figured out that okay Dewey's going to win so they went ahead and they predicted Dewey wins and they made it a headline and uh, I guess not only Truman but a lot of people including up until today get a good chuckle out of that to look at President Truman holding up this newspaper proclaiming his defeat by another candidate. Now, this would say, I would say this is what misinformation is. It's not intended. It's just the newspaper went out and said, okay, well, we've done the figuring and this is what it looks like that Dewey's going to win. But in the end, they were wrong, okay? The second one is disinformation. Now, this is deliberately created to mislead harm or manipulate a person, a social group, or organization and country. And this is really the worst one, I, I think, out of all of them. Um, because it, it, it shows intention. There are people out there who are trying to do what is wrong. And this is this takes a while for us to really accept. Because if you're like me, you kind of want to believe in the goodness of people's nature. And I know that this is a big controversial idea. Are people born good or are they bad? I believe everyone is born good. And I believe that along the way, you lose it. But human nature is good. And if it weren't, I think that we have just um, too many things that we... Um, that are dependent upon that good. I mean, I think a lot of it falls apart if you start believing 
that human nature is bad in and itself. So this is pointing to people. Disinformation is, in other words, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. And this we're seeing a lot, especially here in the United States, especially after the last election. Now, the last one is malinformation, is based on fact, but used out of context to mislead, harm, or manipulate. This is dangerous, too, because, of course, we're talking about intent. Now, you know, this is why it's really important that statistics are used properly, that analysis has a proper forum. In, in Later on in the show today, I'm going to invite you to take those of you in the United States, North America, to take a survey. It's the, the Diasporan Survey. It's a big one that is spanning the entire globe. And it's very important that they get the statistics, yes, in a proper way that it is... Um, with the, that there's checks and balances, that they make sure that it is taken in properly, uh, but also at the same time is we as the consumer of those statistics have to make sure that they are used properly. For instance, malinformation would be, the case might be somebody says, well, 4 plus 6 equals 10. And therefore, if it's 10, it has to be 4 plus 6. No, it doesn't. It could be 5 plus 5. It could be 7 plus 3. Um, A plus B equals C does not mean that A plus D cannot equal C. It doesn't mean that D plus E cannot equal C. There are many ways to have the same, same result. And we hear this a lot, especially inside of the church circles, where we tend to blame things. Blame, for instance, the biggest one is people's uh, response to the church. And so we will look at a situation and we'll say, oh, very few people are attending church. Well, after all, those people are from the former Soviet Union, and therefore they don't have the upbringing to understand that church uh, is something important in their life. Well, you know, <laughs> that may be the case. But, you know, now 30 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, it's hard to make that case when you've got people who are living in these areas for 30 years, 40 years. And it also needs to point to, well, the church's inability to have reached out to these people during the last several decades to make them understand that there is a there is a need, there is a place for the church. So we sometimes take statistics that are given to us in other words the facts are here but we twist them around in fact there is a very interesting little book that my father showed me I, I still have it I read it back then I'd say about 40 years ago it's how to lie with statistics and basically it's a book to say be careful of what you're reading because people can take statistics and they can skew it in all different ways for instance you've got um well, let's say a, a two-man race, right? Two-man race, let's say, between the United States and Russia, okay? Two-man race, and um, the United States wins, and the Russian loses. Now, I could say U.S. wins, Russia loses. That is a true statement, right? 
That's the statistics brought to you. In Russia, they might take that same reality and not lie about it. They might tell the truth as well. However, in presenting the truth, they might explain a a race took place, which is true, and the United States came second to last, which is also true. If they're without exposing that there's only two men in it, well, then the U- United States did come second to last. And Russia came in second place. Well, it did, right? The U.S. won on our terms. On their terms, the United States came in second to last. Both true statements. It's all a matter in which you take that information and it becomes malinformation. So, so you can see how this rumor control really interests me because you know we we've got to be careful. You don't know what's coming out at you. You don't know what people are uh, are are sifting out and labeling. And I've I've shared with I've shared this with you many many times. The way. Christianity has been taken over by people who want to tell you that this is what Christ said without listening to another side. You know, in other words, if it's 10, it has to be 4 plus 6. And you need to come in and say, wait a minute, no, it's also 3 plus 7, right? It's also 9 plus 1, right? That also equals 10. And so Christianity has this broad spectrum. And a lot of times when people come and say, this is the way you become a Christian, says who? Says you? Says your interpretation of the Bible? We just went over this in our Bible study where people were surprised that some of the books, I did a reading from uh, the book of Sirach and said, well, we've never heard of that book. Yeah, well, it was taken out of the Bible by the Protestants. Just like the book of Maccabees was taken out by the Protestants. Well, you say, well, well, was that important? Well, it is important if you want to stick to what was being taught. For instance, in the book of Maccabees, there is a section where they pray for the dead. You know where you've heard that? Well, in Armenian and Orthodox traditions, we have the service for the repose of souls, the requiem service in Armenian Hokeankist. Well, people say it's not in the Bible. That's because they took it out of the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's right there. But they've taken the liberty to take out sections of it. And so at the end of it, you've got to ask, well, what faith do we have? That's why I always steer you to armadoxy. Why? Because when you look at the, yes, I know, it's a small church. The Armenian church is a very small church. And that has its severe, severe disadvantages. But the greatest advantage of it is that it has stayed pure. In other words, it hasn't had all the different uh, factors influencing it through the through the centuries. And so you basically got that apostolic faith, the faith that the apostles of Jesus Christ had. And this is in its purest form, of course. Now, 
why is this important? Well, when you're looking at Christianity, it's very easy to go the way of the masses and to hear about Bible studies here and there and people who interpret Scripture. Just a couple weeks ago, I was invited to do a session on Revelation with the Armenian Church in uh, with one of the churches in Racine, and uh, people were surprised. Well, wait a minute. Why don't we talk about revelation in our church. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason why we don't talk about it. There's a reason why in the yearly calendar, in the lectionary of our church, revelation is not touched. We approach it in in the manner it should be approached, in other words, as a prophetic book. And, you know, we, we take seriously what it says in there. Like, do not add anything. Do not take anything away. And so somebody asked, well, wait a minute. You know, I go to a Bible, I go to a Bible study, and there the Bible teacher teaches us only the words in the Bible. Impossible. Impossible. It just impossible to teach only the words of the Bible, because the Bible that you're reading is an interpretation. In other words, somebody has translated it into whatever language, and if you're reading it in English, and if you're reading uh, some of these uh, more popular ones, more popular um, interpretations, some of them are amplified. In other words, we've added, we've added explanations. So, no, no, there is no such thing as non-interpretation. And um, it, it's a big problem. It's a big problem because when anybody could get up and interpret the way they want to, you're going to run into all kinds. Well, you're going to run into what Protestantism is today. In other words, I think somebody, I, I'll find the exact statistic while we do this song. I think it's something like 20,000 different variants of Protestantism, whatever it is. Let's say it's 10. It's not. It's like in the thousands. But it's too many. What is the pure teaching? That's what we want. So with that in mind, I investigated rumor control. And why? Because there was an election that took place in the Eastern Diocese, and we were shocked by the results. And that's what we'll talk about after the song of the day. I've been sharing with you uh, the difficulties that we're having with the war, the difficulty in that we sitting here with all the bombardment of information that comes to us, it's nothing to the bombardment of shells and rockets and things coming to the Ukrainian people. And we think, of course, as the Armenian story as well, what is the world doing? What can the world do? And I think that second question is the big question that stifles all of us. What can we do? So for several weeks, I've been sharing with you different ideas since the beginning of the war started. But I did want to share with you music for the song of the day, music that that steers us away, that moves us towards peace. Because music, I remember growing up in the Vietnam era, I know what happened afterwards in several wars afterwards, particularly in Syria, in, in Iraq, in Iran. It was the music community that got together that really gave that that sentimentality to the words and to the stories that we were getting. I'm going to go back to 1996. This is 
a series of concerts and recordings made by the great Bavorati. And uh, this particular one is done with Eric Clapton, Holy Mother.
Luciano Bavarotti and friends, in this case his friend Eric Clapton, together an unlikely combination, right? Coming together and doing, well, another unlikely hymn called Holy Mother. Unlikely, but very appropriate, of course, on this Mother's Day week that we celebrate a time to honor and look at our mothers. Just Beautiful. I don't know. I I got a lump in my throat just listening to that. That is um, the two of them off of an album called Pavarotti and Friends for War Child. I will put a link on today's show notes and do check it out. And check out all the wonderful music that was created as a sentiment against war and as a sentiment of a world coming together to fight the evil that's there. Okay, I've got figures from uh, anywhere from 22,000 to 51,000 different denominations among Protestants. And then in the National Catholic Register, an interesting article, which actually I read while we were, um, while we had the song going on. It's a short one. I'll put a link on today's show notes. It says, we need to stop saying that there are 33,000 Protestant denominations. And this is by Scott Eric Alt. Uh, it's a part of his blog. 2016 is the date on it. Anyway, I'll let you decide. I'm telling you that whatever it is, anything more than one is going to say, well, where is the unity of the Christian church? How do you find that Christian message? But that's not what our show is about today. Today we are talking about rumors and how they they are spread, and in particular to elections. So what happened last week, there was a an assembly of the Eastern Diocese, as there was an assembly of the Western Diocese. I belong to the Western Diocese, and these are not politically um, opposing forces. These are just basic geography. In other words, in geographical areas, you have a bishop who tends to a diocese, and as the, the, the geography widens, there's less chance that the bishop could get out to all of the parishes. And so new dioceses are are formed. Inside of Armenia proper, I believe there are 10 dioceses that operate within that country. Here in the United States, there are two dioceses, the Western Diocese and the Eastern Diocese. And as the population moved from the East to West, we see that in 1927, the Western was established as a Californian diocese. And the older diocese, Eastern, was in the 1890s. I think 1897 was the, the year. So well over 120 years, uh, 125 years, I guess, yeah, um, that the Eastern Diocese has been around. And they did something phenomenal. Back in 2018, they elected just the most intelligent, intellectual, uh, visionary for the Armenian Church in the person of Bishop Daniel Findikian. And he was a, a priest, a, a monk of the Armenian Church. And because he was elected to the primacy, to the primate position, he was consecrated a bishop in 2019 
And if my calculations are correct, it is today to the day. It was May 12th in 2019 that on the feast, if again, I'm going to look this up. You'll have it in your show notes, but I think it was on the Feast of Pentecost that Bishop Daniel was consecrated a bishop. And this is because he became, he was elected by the people. And this has to do with what we call the bylaws or the, the rules and regulations in, in older terms in the canons, right? Every church has a way that it operates. We in the apostolic tradition have the canons of the church and bishops are in charge of of geographic areas. When I have talked in the past about the uncanonical situation that takes place right now is that you have geographies where you have more than one bishop. And so when you have one more than one bishop who is running a ge- geography, um, say in the Western United States, Eastern United States, whether you call it diocese or prelacy, it is wrong. There can only be one bishop. And actually, if you want to push it even further, if if we are one church, there should be only one bishop, right? Well, now you get into the issues of the ecumenical patriarch and the first among equals, who's who and everything. So let's not complicate any of that. I'm talking about an election process that takes place according to the bylaws, the rules that are specified. On top of it, here in the United States, it's a corporation. You have to be incorporated. And I know, I know, I know people are the purists. Oh, church can't be a business. No, I'm sorry. It is. It is a business. This doesn't mean that our, our, our sites are on making a profit. Usually that's what people understand as being a business. I'm running a business and I'm successful because I made a profit this week. But this is a business in the sense that it is organized. It has a structure to it. And it has a means by which it it elects its officials. It has a means by which it operates. And therefore, it's called a business. And we have a certain license that is given to us by the government to operate it as such. Okay, so the church has its bylaws, its corporate bylaws, and in there, in the Eastern Diocese, it says that every four years, there will be an election for the primate. Now, that's just the rules of it. Here in my Western Diocese, we have another set of bylaws. doesn't mean that one is more effective or less effective than the other. It's just the way that it has been set up. Through the years, these bylaws get amended, and this is the way it is. Here in the Western Diocese, a term for the primate is not four years, but seven years. And on the sixth year, there is a vote of confidence that is given to the to the primate. If the primate receives the go- vote of confidence, he serves the full seven years. And there is no election on the seventh year. If he doesn't receive the vote of confidence, then the following year, on the seventh year, there is an election. So it's just the way that it's structured, the way that it is put together. And so what happened last week, last weekend, there was a, a an election for the primate of the Eastern Diocese, and then the incumbent, Bishop Daniel Findikian, was not reelected. Rather, a, a, a priest, uh, Father Mesrob Barsamian, was was elected as the primate. And that's how simple it is. 
That's how simple it is. People were calling me and expressing. Now, you can express sadness. You could express shock, as I did. I expressed shock. I expressed my sorrow. Because here was a brilliant, brilliant bishop of our church. And also, he had the foresight and the ability to see beyond the current circumstances. In fact, I spoke, uh, I've spoken several times, including last week, about a new publication that he put out, Building Up the Body of Christ, talking about Christ-centeredness as a church. Any different than what we talk about here, right? So do you understand why I'm sad that today he is no longer the primate of that eastern diocese, a very important diocese, a very important force, especially here in North America. And so let me just say it. People were calling me. People were writing to me. got a lot of emails, a lot of little notes. Like, what's going on? Is this? No, no, nothing's going on. (laughs) The diocese has its rules, and that's how things spinned out. Now, you know, I I think a lot of times we in the church want to believe that everything is forever and nothing is forever. As as this what's the song? It says nothing's forever but the earth and sky. That's so true in in many ways, right? We all come and we go. I shared with you last week a picture that came from 1927. And if you look through that, the hundreds of faces of those immigrants who just came over after the genocide, the Armenian genocide, you look over the faces and you try to find somebody that you know it's impossible. Because if somebody's in that picture, 1927, it would mean that they are today 120, 130 years old. So very impossible that you would recognize somebody who was just 100 years ago existed. I know, I know, we want to we want to last forever, but, you know, I mean, really think about it. Now, no, this is not to depress you right now. I'm not here to depress you, but we're talking about that election. Yes, it took place because that, those are the rule, rules governing the church organization, the church uh, institute, institution, right? Okay, now what you feel towards it, like for me, I said, I am sad. I'm disappointed. I was shocked when I heard the news. Not because the person who won is uh, is somebody we, you know, shouldn't be there. No, that's not why. But when you think about here is a brilliant, brilliant bishop who was elected and really didn't have an opportunity to serve. He was elected only four years ago. During that four-year term, two of the years were lost to covid as anywhere else. So it's basically a two-year term. And one of the years he it took before he was able to become a bishop of the church. So there was a lot of, lot of difficulties. It would have been nice if the people saw a little farther than their noses and said, hey, let's vote for him. Now, do I have anything to say with it? No, I don't, because I am not a member of that particular diocese. I'm living here in California. I could tell you my opinion, which I did. But ultimately, the people who vote are the people who are part of that diocese. Now, before you get all worked up and said, well, I live there and nobody asked me. Yeah, yeah, relax. Chill pill time, okay? (laughs) You have to be a member of a church. This is one of the biggest, biggest 
um, disappointments that people have. That they say, oh, I could have made a difference. I could have done that. Well, if you want to make a difference, the first thing is you need to be able to go to church on a regular basis. You need to be there Sunday mornings. You need to be a member of that church. You need to be a dues-paying, and therefore, a dues-paying member has the right to vote. And it's called trickle-up. Okay, from the membership, it trickles up all the way to who selects the bishop and ultimately who selects the Catholicos. It requires people to be active within the church. And it's exactly along the lines of what Jesus' um, statement was, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. People say, well, you know, they charge you to be a member. Actually, it's such a minuscule amount if I'm, you know what, I will go out on a limb and tell you that the average, average membership dues is $100 a year, which is what, 30 cents a day to be a member of the church. I mean, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I hate to think that that's our treasure, that 30 cents a day. And uh, you know what, that's what it takes to become a member that votes. Rules, regulations. And it's no different than the way we elect people here in the United States of America. Just because you live in the United States of America doesn't give you the right to vote. You, Even if you're born here, you do not have the right to vote until you go and you register. You need to register. You need to say, I want to participate. And that's what that membership is in our church. People talk big, big about, well, this is what the church should do. Fine. Instead of talking about it, you know, as the saying goes, put your money where your mouth is and get involved and be in the membership. Now, that being said, get used to the idea that it's not going to happen overnight. You need to get become a member. You need to establish yourself. You need to get the votes. It's a very democratic process that takes place inside of it. And unfortunately, in that democracy, we sometimes find results that we're not happy with. People ask me also, this is where we get to the rumor control. Well, what happened and what will happen to Bishop Daniel? Actually, he'll continue as a bishop of the church. He'll, be continue, he'll continue to inspire people. He will be a living legend in many ways because he's somebody who's put put out so much and put out a direction for the church that anybody really picking up, building up the body of Christ can take it and use it as a game plan to build up the church. It's it's fantastic. In the short time that he was the primate, he has done so much by really bringing about a change that is long overdue and necessary. And I'm talking about that as a clergyman working all of my life here in the United States of America. So that's by way of the rumor control. Take a, take a chill pill. It is legal. It does happen. Is it the results that we want? Well, there's probably people who wanted it, obviously, and there's people who didn't want it, but in, in every election there are people who win, there's people who lose. I hate to use that expression, because the ones that lost are not the person who lost. But I think there's a bigger, bigger group of people that really lost, us included. 
So I hope that answers the questions. And do check out the show notes. We'll have all kinds of articles that you could do some further reading and further exploration. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Mother's Day, we had a chance to celebrate that this past weekend. It is really a celebration. It's one of my favorite, I'm sure, for many, many people. Because what else is more pure than mother's love? And I put a link on today's show notes so you could check out my sermon from Sunday. Because what I did is I used a poem by Avediki Sahagyan, a great Armenian writer, uh, from the 19th and 20th century, early part of the 20th century. And he wrote about the mother's heart. And I liken this to our Armenian church, that is the mother that takes us back no matter what, is always vigilantly waiting for our return home. And what I want to do right now is I, I took the liberty of translating it. And I don't know what... I'm not very happy with it, but I did want to have a translation of this Mother's Heart poem by Avediki Sahagyan. It's actually an old Armenian folktale that he has put down to poetry and has done it so beautifully that I I could tell you every time I've recited it, there's not a dry eye in the house because it really captures the sentiments of what a mother is. So let me share with you my rendition, an English translation, The Mother's Heart. There is a tale from days of old about a boy, one of a mother who loved a girl. The girl said, you do not and cannot love me. If so, go, go bring your mother's heart. The boy, lost and head bent, walked a bit, cried and cried, and came back to the girl. When she saw him furiously, do not show yourself at my door, she said, until you bring her heart. The boy went, hunted a goat up in the hills, took the heart and gave it to the girl. When she saw that, furiously, get lost from my sight, unless your true mother's heart you bring. The boy went, killed his mother. And while running, the heart in his hand, his foot slipped and fell down. And the heart of his mother, sad and tearfully said, My poor boy, is there anywhere that you are hurt? I don't know if it has the same effect. In Armenian, I just I just love this story. My mom used to tell us this story when we were kids. And uh, Avediki Sahagyan, I think, just is so... The, the, the poet, poetic way in which he brings it. And what I tried to do is actually translate that poem. And I hope it had its effect on you. It was that, 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 that final love of a mother, that even if you betray her, even if you kill her, she's your mother and she cares about you. And I think about that often, and that's what why I'm putting my sermon online. I want you to just check it out. It's an Armenian, but I, I, 
in in brief, it's basically saying that, you know, we all have lovers and we play with those lovers in the sense that we go to other religions, we try other churches, we try other faiths, we like other exploration. And in the end, if anything ever happens to us, it's our church, the mother of us all, that so open-handedly will take us and is always worried about us. And as a priest, I've seen this throughout my 40-year career as a priest. People who will go elsewhere and everything, but when it comes down to it, when they know they're in hot water, when they're in trouble, there's only one place they can come, and they do come. And what I'm sharing with you today is don't wait till you're in hot water. Don't wait, but come to the Armenian Church. That was the message I gave. Sunday. All right, there's the pianist, and here's Susie. Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the Next Step with Father Vosgen. Well, thank you, Susie, and thank you, all of you, for all of the wonderful prayers, sentiments, letters, emails. I don't get letters, no, emails and texts that you all send me, and especially this week with so much concern about what is happening here in America. And I hope I was able to explain some of the nuances of the electoral process for for primate here today. Uh, So... Uh, thank you very much, and especially those prayers, because they really sustain us. They get us from week to week. I do feel them, and, and, I, and I thank you for having that trust in me. Even that trust that you would even reach out to me to clarify, to, to rid a rumor that you've heard here or there. Listen, I want to just steer your attention to the Armenian Diaspora Survey, and this is there. There's a link on today's show notes, and just easily you could put in Armenian Diaspora Survey dot com, and you will be led to the page. It's a very easy survey to take. I highly encourage that you tell your friends, tell every family member to fill out a survey. Now it is open for the United States and Canada, Ontario and Canada. Um, and from what I understand, it is defined by geography because in other parts of the the world, it has already taken place. And still in other parts of the world, it will 
continue to take place. Let me just read to you from their webpage. The Armenian Diaspora Project conducts surveys of public opinion in Armenian diaspora communities to inform the public, scholars, policymakers, and community leaders about the issues, attitudes, and trends shaping the Armenian world in the 21st century. Led by a team of academics, researchers, and experts, the Armenian Diaspora Survey aims to provide a snapshot of the contemporary diaspora. The project fills a critical gap in the knowledge of the diaspora and provides evidence-based understanding of the multi-layered and diverse aspects of diasporic life. This is funded, of course, by the Kalduskul Benkian Foundation and carried out under the auspices of the Armenian Institute in London. So please, please go to this website and fill it out. And you can read more about it. You could even see some of the uh, information, what news has come out, what some of the surveys have been. There's a nice little video on there, gives more information. And like I said, I have taken the survey. It is it is very um, simple one in terms of time and in structure. You'll be racing through it. Uh, this survey has taken place in Marseille, Cairo, Boston, uh, Romania, Lebanon, Canada, and Argentina in the past, and now is open for the United States and Canada. So um, please check out the show notes. Well, that does it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed producing it for you. Please get on board on the mothershipinissues.org. Lots of things are happening. And of course, we're on all the socials at In His Shoes and at epostle.net. epostle.net. Apostolic evangelism for an electronic and expanding universe. And so, on behalf of our wonderful producer, Susie, and myself, this is Father Roskin, inviting you to join us again next week when we will take the next step. Now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and production crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. I forgot to ask you if uh, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, Bye.